Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hello everyone, we're back to our normal schedule and after a weekend with some really nail-biting games, we are back to recap the weekend's fixtures with you. We are indeed, but first we take a look at all the news from the rugby world this week. Yeah, and we start with a bit of really good news. So the Men's Sevens have actually won the Rugby Europe Men's Sevens Grand Prix, which is fantastic. And they were in pole position to win that coming into the last weekend, but nice that they closed it out and got the medal. Yeah, they've proven time and time again over the last couple of months that they are just too good for that level. Yeah, and this is, I mean, their qualification for Hong Kong was, I think, already guaranteed, but we now know they'll be joined by Germany and Russia, so... It'll be interesting because that's the kind of that's the target is to be on that sevens tour as a core team. Yeah, like everything now for that sevens team is Hong Kong, Hong Kong, and Hong Kong. It'll be April before that happens, but uh, hell of a hell of a hell of a lead in. Women's interpros also continued this week to pretty emphatic victories, one more so than the other. Yeah, Ulster lost at home to Munster. Yeah, twenty points to forty, six try win, pretty emphatic. But Connacht, and I think you were at this today, went down forty-seven points to nil against a pretty dominant Leinster side. It was incredibly disappointing. Um, Leinster were better across every facet of the pitch across, apart from the scrum. Okay. But that team have higher standards. They've set higher standards for themselves in the past and they'll have to do better next week against Ulster. Well, this is it. I think Ulster are without a win at the moment. So it's Ulster and Connacht for the bottom and then Munster and Leinster in a straight shootout for the title. In the RDS, I believe. I hope there's a good crowd because those two teams are playing some good rugby and not that they need sport but it's just really good worth it's going to be a competitive fixture which and leads us on to our next segment uh quick update on the rugby championship where new zealand's b team made short work of argentina um absolutely annihilated them without ever breaking a sweat yeah like argentina scored some nice tries but that's pretty much it yeah there was a nice cute moment the uh substitute scrum half for the all blacks oh that was incredible that yeah. was just love his family hacker in the crowd afterwards. yeah that's pretty cool um, and Australia snuck win against South Africa at home. Yeah, but then they celebrated like they just won the Rugby World Cup. In an empty stadium. Ooh, not good. Also not good. Another injury-forced retirement this week. Dominic Ryan, formerly of Leinster, has uh, hung up his boots. Yeah, he did. And I remember him being forced to play on after concussion last season or the season four. There's going to be more to that story, I'd say, at some point. Interesting. Um, and not the only interesting news at Leicester this week. Matt O'Connor after one game in the new season, has been given his P45. And, uh, you know, as much as we talk about the influence of, of soccer in the game, that's about... I, I've never even heard of that happening in a in a soccer club. Yeah, but in all fairness to Leicester, they, the chairperson actually came out and said to the fans, this is why. There was no hidden messages or anything. Look, I wish Jordan Murphy all the best and yeah. see what happens. Well, I'll tell you, talking as we do about some of the other coaches who've got a big challenge this season, you know, like the likes of the Dragons or... And the likes of the Ospreys, it just goes to show they better get the results because there's increasingly a sense out there that it's okay to sack your coach that quick into the season. And that's worrying times for some coaches in the Pro 14. That is. But, you know, look, some coaches are getting jobs and Mike Ford takes over at Germany. Yeah, great coach. And I think that's nice because they're obviously trying to build on the game and coming into the Rugby Europe Nations something something cup with, uh, with serious ambitions this year. So that'll be nice. And I suppose that leads us into... Our chat about this weekend's games and two teams who had serious ambitions were Glasgow and Munster and Glasgow running out 25 to 10 winners on Friday night. Fairly emphatic win in all fairness. Yeah, I mean, from a Munster perspective, this was the rugby equivalent of that dream where you're given a speech at school and then you realise you're not wearing any pants. Like, in all fairness, that first half, I genuinely thought 
Munster are going to start charging Glasgow rent because they spent so much time in the 22. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on top of that, I think absolutely every 50-50 decision in the first half went Glasgow's way, but also just anything that could go wrong did go wrong. You say everything that could go wrong did go wrong, even Ben? Like, I'm not a fan of Ben Whitehouse as a referee. He's uncommunicative. He likes being the centre of attention. And the only thing you can rely on is that he's going to make mistakes. And he did in this game. And we're not here to bash refs. you got to take it out of the referee's you know, hands. You just have to win the game emphatically enough that they can't impact on it. But he does. Every week, every game you see him refereeing, he's just an unreliable mess. Like, no offence. After losing, that sounds like a bit of... Wah, wah, wah talk. But look, he is pretty poor though. Look, he's he's not called Ben Tryhouse for giving penalty tries away to the teams for no reason. But, you know, Munster showed up in the second half. They did win 10-3. If they turned up, at, you know what, minute zero, it would have been a different game. It would have. And I think when we're counting the costs of this and when we're looking at what did and didn't work in the game, there's there's a lot of stuff positive to be taken away from it. Equally, you look at the same fixture last year, Munster lost that by 37 points to 10 and went on to finish second in their conference. So it's not exactly all doom and gloom, but it was frustrating. From Glasgow's perspective, though, their 9-10 combination of new players looks really, really good. Yeah, their attacking as a pair is incredible. But what's helping that is Hogg's role as the primary kicker. Like He's taken all the kicks from hand. He's taken the kicks at goal. And it's just letting Hastings play rugby you know that's true and if you look at the equivalent for Munster in terms of 10s when Carberry came on and Byrne and Archer and some of the other players Munster did shore up they did look a lot better and I think the return of the frontline players which we have to acknowledge are all back for the Scottish and the Welsh sides already that's going to make a difference and as well as that Munster's two centres Rory Scannell and Sammy Arnold were really good again this week and they do look like a core part of that team and with Chris Farrell to come in there as well you know that's that's a real strength Munster are going to have this year yeah but you know we we're talking about like the amount of numbers you have at 10 in Munster but JJ just doesn't seem to be the answer like it's so hot and cold because he went from having a pretty good game last week a good 80 minutes the bulk of them at 10 but this week he he was cursed he couldn't put a foot right. I mean, he was directly responsible for several of the tries. And his decision-making from not from 10 and from 9, you look at both Cronin and Duncan Williams, just couldn't cover for it. It was really annoying. Not actually the most annoying thing, though. Like, if you looked at the Munster defensive line, in particular when we got caught out wide for that try, it was just laziness from players not getting around the ruck and resetting in the defensive line. Our numbers were just wrong. And the Munster scrum was unusually poor. Yeah, again, there's not a tremendous amount of frontline players to commit to that tight five as well. So that's something they really have to work on in the training pitch. Um, Well, you look at Glasgow, they're going to be hell of annoyed they didn't come away with a bonus point. Yeah, and only three points in the second half overall, which is poor given how much ball they had. Yeah, it's just not good enough. And really, what more can we say about that game? Very little. I mean, they'll both kick on next week and we expect to see a response from Munster and a kind of bit more emphatic of a win from Glasgow, I'd say. But another kind of one of our nail-biting finishes for the first was the Ulster-Edinburgh game up in Belfast on Friday night as well. 30 points to 29. It doesn't get closer than that. I'm so glad this was my pick of the round. Yeah, it was a cracking game, to be fair. 
Like, Ulster started so slow, though. They were getting bullied at the breakdown. It took them a good 20 minutes to, to wake up, and they were 13-0 down before Cooney managed to put over the first penalty. But does he not grind away at teams? He does, and he, he again, he had a really good outing, and he runs some really good support lines. He's almost in that TJ Perinara kind, uh, like the, the Hurricane scrum half. But slow start to the second half then. Again, another try conceded inside five minutes of the second half, which was weird. But Ulster went from strength to strength as the game went on. And their bench improved them, whereas Edinburgh seemed to do the opposite. Yeah, that's true. Although, in the end, they very nearly threw it away. Uh, Cooney a little bit over-eager at the back of the scrum. Oh my God, how close was he to being clowned around? (laughs) So close. (laughs) And you don't see referees ping that a lot. Normally, the scrum halves are always hassling each other and whatever. But he was just that half a second too early. And, like, if you look at it in slow motion, the hands have just hit the ball and Cooney's on mine. Like, he waits another second, that tackle's perfect. It's perfect, yeah. And lucky for him, I guess, he got a chance to pull it back and Mr. Reliable made no mistake with the penalty like, on 80 minutes. He must have been walking around Belfast like Conor McGregor. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think he was walking around like somebody who just got out of jail because he really could have been in trouble. Like, everyone pat his back and he's like, sorry, yeah. <clears throat> right, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. But I mean, so we talked about Cooney, he's looking good. Will Addison, who had a really good debut last week, is looking really classy. He's a real creative influence in that ball, but he's a hard runner as well. Yeah, like, he was going to be a great addition to the team. But like I was saying in our previews, Kutsier has really come into his own in that squad. He's such a good ball carrier. He's a, he's like, it's like someone, you get, put the ball inside your fridge freezer and then throw it down a hill at someone. He's a tank, he really is. Yeah, if he keeps up that form... Ulster's back row, which was so weak for them last season, mm. is going to be a real, real bonus for them. Absolutely. But, like, that's Ulster. You were saying last week about Hickey for Edinburgh. This week, again, very confident, great range of passing, and his kicking is top-notch. Yeah, he's a really reliable goal kicker for them, and I just think he gives an extra dimension to that attack. And to be honest, if you turn back to what the teams need to do better... He was one of the reasons that they came out of the blocks so fast. And Ulster really can't afford a slow start like that. I mean, they were 13-0 down here. Better teams will be out of sight if they take that long to wake up. As a Munster fan, you know, and from all of last season, you just can't be doing that. No. What do Edinburgh need? They just need a better bench. Like, they just need... in. Like, they do need impact. I'm never going to use the word... They're Finishers. A, yeah. The replacements need to come in and either keep up to the level of the previous players or improve. Yeah, fair. And the defence out wide was a bit ropey as well. Yeah, Gilroy and Allison were finding space, but they're they're two players that find space. They don't want contact. They want to go around you. Yeah. I would actually blame Edinburgh's defensive setup and their reviewing of the team. So maybe that's a coaching point. Yeah. Yeah, possibly so. Now we'll move on to the the cracking match of Saturday. I can't believe you made me watch even the highlights of this. <laughs> Disgusted. It was just not a good game of rugby. No, Dragons, Dragons v Southern Kings. 27-22. On the plus side, I mean, 342 days without a win for the Dragons. At least they can chalk off that particular statistic. <laughs> you know what? This was the home team with the worst attack versus the visiting team with the worst defence. Yeah, and honestly, it was like a competition to see who could have the ball the least. I mean, what was it, 10 turnovers for one side and 12 for the other? The ball was just getting flung away at random. Kings did, at some point, start building a few phases up, and, you know, they scored four tries. They got a bonus point out of this. That's the most astonishing thing. I mean, for the Dragons to concede a losing bonus point against this Kings side is embarrassing, let alone a four-try bonus point. 
it, it was it's it's mad. And given that they started relatively well, you know they were what were they seventeen nil up before the the Kings even started to play, and then they got badly badly outscored in the second half of that game. But that's one of the strengths of the Kings. You know, in the loose play when things break up, they are gonna score tries. They do have players that can find the line and pick a hole. Yeah, and I mean from a Dragons perspective, I guess all you can look at strengths wise is they did manage to pick up those points, but. God knows, against better opposition, they're not. That's not a team that's going to win games. No, like if the Kings were able to pick up their points from the boot, the Dragons have lost that game. Yeah, absolutely. And well, we'll get to it when we're previewing next week. But the Dragons are going to have a torrid time next uh, next weekend. But look, these teams' weaknesses, the basics just aren't there. No, and you know, from the Dragons' perspective, I guess because the Kings' the weaknesses are everything on top of everything. They just need to be able to play what rugby is in front of them. They need better on-field leadership and decision-making because there was a couple of occasions where the Kings came in and counter-retired and the Dragons just weren't switched onto it. Yeah, the amount of times it happened was actually there, especially in the first half. I was there watching before I walked up to the sports ground. I was like, the Kings were just demolishing the Dragons at the breakdown. Yeah, and let's get onto that game in the sports ground. So, Connacht v Zebre and a pretty strong result, uh, 32 points to 13. But this was a god-awful game of rugby to watch. Welcome to the sports ground, Andy, friend. Oh, man. Torrential rain, a ball like a bar of soap. Nobody seemed to be either able or willing to hold on to it for more than about three phases. It's actually more able. Like, it really was that wet. That's a fair point. And in between the total garbage of that first half were two really nicely taken tries by Paul Boyle, who I believe is uh, number eight from the academy. Yeah, this is his second senior start for Connacht. And, like, watching that... I'm kind of like genuinely I know he's come up for Munster I'm trying to see where Copeland fits into this team at times yeah I mean to be fair he had a glorious assist for Connacht's fifth try as well that little no look pass Daddy Loken was outstanding stuff uh, he was a man of the match and rightly so he, yeah. you know incredible performance he is one for the future and I was saying driving back up to Dublin today he is so one of those players that's going to improve in four years time and when the other Leinster eights haven't improved enough go like hey Boyle do you want to? <laughs> do you want to come back here and I'd swap you for Caelan Doris and Max Deegan? <laughs> uh, well, look on the opposite side of that. Zebra started the second half by punching themselves directly into the neck, and then moments later doing so a second time. Connacht didn't capitalise whatsoever. You're talking a ten-minute period where you're up by two players, and the scoreline is seven-three. That is just ridiculous. That's appalling. I mean, you talk about teams needing to be clinical. What's the average for a yellow card? One, two tries? You're talking a 10-point average per yellow okay. card. It was if everyone just went, the blurger, and forgot how to play rugby <laughs> while, there was ten, while they were off the pitch. And that can happen, but there's really no excuse for it. And like Connacht did do enough to get their bonus point win, but I think they'll be annoyed at particularly conceding that late try to Zebra. They just switched off. And nearly conceding a second. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. They were already in the changing room. They knew they had the game won, but that's just not good enough. Again, in games where it is still competitive at that end, you're going to have to do better than that. Yeah, I know. But looking to the positive, Carty again, he's just playing at a different level this season. Yeah, and another lovely kick assist in there too. Yeah, it was the only time I actually noticed Griffin was playing when he scored that try. It was a smart finish for him to slide in from that distance, so using the this conditions really well. Um, I thought Blade and then Marmion when he came on were both pretty solid too. Yeah, and um, Marmy didn't light up the world you can so tell he, this is his first games of proper rugby in a long yeah. time but I'd like to see a bit more from Blade but yeah you know what in a, in a game you won you can't be too harsh on people yeah back row uh, Fyinga looked quality when he came up yeah like that is an astute signing yeah um, really glad there's a connection there with Andy Friend got him over during the summer 
Yeah. I think he's going to have impact. He's going to be good on the training ground. And there is so much competition in that back row now. I'm not going to bother trying to make up strengths for Zebra. They were really shocking. Yeah. No, it's terrible. Um, and starting with their weaknesses, their set pieces is a shambles. Like the scrum looked like it was on wheels. I don't know how they didn't get more yellow cards from it. Yeah. And look, from Connacht's perspective, as we've said already, finishing. There's just not enough punch in that back line at the moment. Well, see, the problem is Tom Farrell's not playing. Bundyaki's not playing. Griffin and Godwin, there's no creators there. Mm. They're quite similar. And our main attacks out wide were Carty out the back door to O'Halloran, out to the wingers. You're skipping your centres. Yeah. And if your best stuff comes from skipping your centres... Why are they there? Yeah. No, that's fair. And like as I said at the start, in general, the level of errors from both teams was really just not good enough. Like, yes, conditions play into that. But like Connacht obviously know this weather. And you need to tighten up your game when you're playing that type of stuff. And Zebra have come to the sports ground and been humbled enough times. That they should know what rain looks like. Look, there is no excuse for it. We had the better pack. We should have used, gone up the jumper a lot more. Absolutely. We And we didn't. And... That has something Andy Friend has to just kind of, and the leaders on the pitch have to kind of just cop on to. It's all well and good playing creative, free-flowing, attacking rugby. Not like that. Exactly. We'll move across the Irish Sea where Ospreys were hosting Cheetahs and they won pretty convincingly. 46-14. Yeah, a bit of a gimme. I mean, the Cheetahs could only get better after last week, to be honest. And, and they did make a good start. For the first 20 minutes, they had most of the ball and most of the territory as well. Yeah, but, you know, Ospreys were taking full advantage of all the stupid errors that Cheaters were have coming up with. Yeah, true. And to be honest, the Cheaters' discipline was pretty bad as well, which let Sam Davies just pin them back over and over again. And after that first 20-minute period where there was a degree of parity, the Ospreys just, you know, they just tightened the vice grip. When you're, when you're playing a game and penalties keep going and the ball's flying behind you, you just get so demoralised so quickly. Particularly after getting nilled in Thoman Park last week. Yeah. It's not been a good trip. No, I'd say the Cheetahs want to get home as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say from the Ospreys' perspective, they were unfortunate. They lost Scott Williams to injury, which will be a concern if it's serious. It didn't look too bad going off. Um, and then I guess from the Cheetahs, there was a really nice moment around 70 minutes. Max Wayne scored an absolute beaut of an individual effort, chip and chase over the top. The Cheetahs attacking always have that spark. You can't give them an inch of space. And they will exploit it. Like, they're better at it than the Kings. Yeah, no, they are. Um, Of the two South African sides, they're the more competent, which is a low bar to have cleared. One thing worth noticing, of the Ospreys' seven tries, six of them came either from a set piece directly or within, like, two or three phases. They only actually got one try from kind of open breakaway transition play. So a lot of credit to the coaching team. Yeah, that's a well-drilled team Mm. doing that. But that is a weakness going forward because if your tries are coming from set pieces, you're going to get targeted there. And people lot. will defend them. And yeah. Yeah. I think the Cheetahs started well, but again, let's just hope they can compete when they're back home for the next couple of games. Yeah. I, you almost feel like these two games were their preseason. Even last year, the Cheetahs lost their opening two games and were in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And it's about making sure that they can bring the lessons learned from this in. You need to get their discipline organized. Like 12 penalties is a problem. And... Again, missing one in four tackles. So tighten up both discipline and defence and that'll help. And the thing is though, like Munster last week, it's hard to know where Ospreys were a week. Cheaters are just that poor. Yeah, I think their scrum was a bit shaky in the first half. But can you really tell? Hard to know. Um, There'll be stiffer tests than this for the Ospreys. Not much more we can say about that. So we'll move on to 
what people would assume was the one to watch for the season, but not for us. Yeah, we, we were looking elsewhere. This did look like a headline fixture, you know, the uh, the rematch of the final from last year, Scarlets v Leinster, and a narrow win for the home side, 23 points to 21. This will have surprised people. Um, but for me, the most surprising thing was that I didn't think it was that great a game. No, it was a game played between the two 22s almost. You know, yeah, I mean, both teams were going for it. But what I, looking at that, saw was a backup 10 leading a backline missing half of its players against a backup 10 leading a backline missing half of its players. Well, Slenser did reintroduce a lot of internationals into that team. But some of the defensive frailties in the centres were still there, even with Robbie Henshaw marshalling the defence. Yeah, I thought they got limited value out of Henshaw, to be honest, because he was having to spend so much time defending the 10 and 13 channels. Yeah, there's only so much one man can do. Absolutely. And the Scarlets kind of started the stronger, and certainly they had a really good opportunity with Josh Murphy getting yellow carded after only, what, like six minutes, I think? I think that must be a record for it, especially for repeated infringements, because... Yeah, I think it was two cynical infringements within five metres of the line, and the ref was having none of it. Yeah, like, they were lucky not to be down to 14 on minute one. Yeah, there was a couple of penalties that they were giving away, but that Mamal one that they pulled down was just dangerous stuff. Yeah. I tell you what, though, that try that the Scarlets did score, I thought it was a bit controversial. For me, it looked like Tyke Furlong might have got an arm under it and prevented it. But when the ref asks any reason I cannot award, um, it's probably going to stand. If I think if he asks try yes or no, then Leinster get away with that. Yeah, completely. But at the same time, like for me, that's ref going, I think that's grounded. And we want refs to make decisions. I tell you what, assistant refs aren't doing a whole lot, so maybe the ref can make it, can get the decision out of their pocket. <laughs> Scarlets had their own sin bin period then to navigate around half time, and another try for James Lowe. He just can't stop scoring. Himself and Larmer just linked up so well at times. Like there was a point where Lowe goes to Larmer, Larmer brings it back, and then there's a forward pass just before breakaway. Like it was beautiful. Does somebody have a crush? I just like seeing fullbacks and wings linking up well. Is that just so wrong? Is that too wrong to ask? <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, after that, there was another kind of 30 minutes where very little happened. Lee Halfpenny got another penalty, couple of penalties. Um, Davies got another try. And then Ruddock got a consolation for Leinster. But it was still a close run thing. And Leinster were pushing hard with two or three minutes on the clock. Yeah, like they could have won that game. If it wasn't for Halfpenny's extreme clamped on to turnover at the last second Leinster could have worked their way to a position to win that game that and the reliability of the boot I mean you talk about weaknesses in this game and Ross Byrne leaving six points out on the pitch with Halfpenny knocking everything over that could well have been the difference I mean on the scoreboard it obviously would have been but you don't know how a game would evolve but you need a kicker your frontline kicker to be knocking over 80 plus percent and he was 60 in this game and all fairness, that is well below his average as well. Absolutely. He had so, a bit of a nightmare. Like you said, he wasn't having a good day at the office in general. So hopefully that for him, that's a blip. Yeah. And I think another blip there, the discipline from Leinster wasn't great. 13 penalties is a lot more than they normally give away. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Like really, really sloppy. But that plays into the whole game where no team managed to really dominate and take a stranglehold off it. Yeah, and I think we'll see a bit more killer instinct as more of the Leinster Irish internationals come back and as Scarlet's get a few people back off the treatment table. Yeah, you're right. But you know what? In strengths-wise, Scarlet's have Hadley Parks. And if he just keeps playing... The way he's playing. He was he was a menace. His lines he takes, 
the way he takes the ball into contact, and he can and he can pass a dream as well. Yeah, and occasionally he'll spot a gap on an outside edge, and he's got gas. Like he's he really is a, an outstanding all rounder for them. Um, I, I'm a big fan. And when the race patch will miss, and you needed somebody to step up, exactly. Yeah, I think again. I think hardly a surprise, but both sides showed some really powerful mauling and the collisions there were just meteoric at times. Yeah, these were two heavyweights and you could tell these were two heavyweights hitting like hitting each other, slogging punches at times. Two lads in the centre of the ring just whacking each other in the face. Yeah, but the thing is, neither were going anywhere and it was boring to watch. <laughs> Nailed it. Analogy 101. <laughs> um, the other game which for me ended up being the tie of the round um benetton against cardiff in italy and 27 points to 25 the home team take it i've cardiff like pissed off a witch doctor <laughs> i don't know but i mean that's two weeks in a row that they bottled the lead with five minutes left on the clock <laughs> look that match was strewn with errors on a huge night and it was 3-3 at the half hour mark yeah, and both Jared Evans and Tommaso Allen had only got one out of two kicks. But then out of nowhere, Tibaldi spots that Benetton are on a penalty advantage, chips it into the in-goal area, and Allen is just the first to react. It was brilliant. It was just so quick from the halfbacks for Benetton. Tibaldi and Allen are intelligent players, and they've just been getting better season on season. Tibaldi has buckets of experience. How long has he been around for now? He needs to show some of it. Yeah, that's true. I tell you though, Cardiff were lucky that Benetton did score because otherwise I guarantee they were going to get a yellow card for repeat infringements. Sometimes I do wish a ref would kind of go back in yellow card them anyway. Yeah. They should have got it at the next penalty if they're if they were constantly at it. Yeah, I suppose, but it's almost like it releases the pressure valve and then it's like a clean slate and you can go again. And ironically, it was Benetton who did get the first yellow card of the game. Not really a controversial one though because it turns out you're not allowed to windpipe people. And he elbowed um, the Cardiff scrum half Lloyd Williams directly into the throat. But, you know, they managed that time well, only conceding six points. They're so good at that. We were saying this at the end of last season when they beat Leinster. Like Benetton, they just know how to play simple rugby when they're down players. And they control the ball. Like It's, it's so easy to have a person in the bin when you have the ball. But again, kind of kept their eye on the ball, drilled it out and... This is a real strength of this Benetton side. Their work rate was outstanding. And given that it was a muggy, heavy night, it was total commitment from 1 to 23. You know what? Benetton are starting to look like a team that know how to win. Like, if they're ahead with 15, 20 on the clock, you actually have that sense they're going to pull this off and they're going to finish it through. And they did in this case, and it was just fantastic. And I guess looking at the strengths from a Cardiff perspective, their scrum was completely and totally dominant. Aside from... The last play of the game. The last two minutes of the game, yeah, where it <laughs> fell apart. But, you know, when Anscombe came on, he was a different level. Yeah, and he kind of shows the creativity that Matt Morgan at fullback doesn't. Like, I, I think they're struggling to figure out how they get Evans and Anscombe into that team at the moment. You put Anscombe at fullback. Tick, done, next. He's so good. He was a bright spark in a game that didn't need a team were perfect. No, and, like, the ball handling from both of them wasn't great discipline from both sides wasn't great like 29 penalties and three yellow cards in one game is high by any standards that's awful that's just that's that's offensive it's it's not ideal no. um but you know what Car- cardiff lost this game nearly as much as benetton won it they must have zero self-confidence if their composure is that bad yeah you know nick williams had a quiet game and if when he has a quiet game cardiff tend to have a quiet game but you can't lose games from 75 minutes on. No, and I think they have a really 
really important game next week. And we'll talk about a preview in the fixtures, but they have to bounce back because, as you said, they need the confidence boost. Otherwise, that conference is going to start getting away from them very quickly. Look, that's the weekend's fixtures all tied up. We'll move on to the second row top performer and clown the round. And you have picked our top performer. Yeah, although it only because I get to say clown of the round later now. <laughs> um, top performer for me this week was Tommaso Allen. Yeah, he missed a couple of kicks in the first half, but right at the death when he needed one to win the game for his team, he absolutely nailed it. The guy has balls of steel. And that's on top of the try that he got as well, like 17 points overall. That's a really, really stellar performance from him. And he was at the heart of everything that Benetton were doing right. So, Tommaso Allen, take a bow. Yeah, incredible stuff. And hopefully for Benetton and Italy, he continues his form going forward. Absolutely. Pork, you have the ignominious honour of picking the clown of the round. Who have you gone for? I have gone for the TMO in the Glasgow v Munster match for not being able to do his job effectively. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, not getting the right angle or be able to make a decision are pretty concerning as a TMO. But like not being able to f- find the correct rock at where foul play happened and not being able to see the most obvious, blatantly toxic clear out in the world. I was I was sitting there watching the footage of this being like, no, no, earlier, early, stop replaying the wrong rock. Of course you can't see an angle of the hit. It happened 30 seconds earlier. What yeah. are you doing? I wasn't there was it the Scottish Premier Sports team in, in charge of the footage. I wonder. S-R-U-T-M-O. Look, you can miss stuff, but like, lads, at least give the ref the footage so that he can make a decision. Like that was, because for me, that was probably a yellow. It was at least a penalty. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's have a quick look at next week's fixtures, Park. We've got a couple of games coming up. And first up on Friday night is another Irish doubleheader. Thank you, Pro 14. But at least the games across the full weekend, they're better spread out. Fair. So first up, we've got Edinburgh versus Connacht and Munster versus the Ospreys. A couple of interesting games there. Yeah, Connacht's first away trip of the season, you know. um, And for me, and this is a really big test for this Connacht team. Going to a really well-drilled Edinburgh team is going to be a tough match. Absolutely. And Munster, I think, have a similar test. Like, the Ospreys will be buzzing after that win against the Cheetahs. Like, now it's a matter of both of us can beat the Cheetahs. Can we actually beat each other? So that'll be a good game down in Cork on Friday night. Yeah. Then we move on to Saturday. And to kick off all the day's events, it's Scarlets versus Benetton. That, yeah. Really looking forward to that one. That should be good fun. Um, and at the same time, kicking off, Leinster play host to the Dragons, which I don't really want to watch. I, I feel sorry for Dragons fans. I feel sorry for Dragons everything. I mean, how's the kit man going to get that much blood out of their jerseys? <laughs> um, Cheetahs get their first home game of the season then later on Saturday against Glasgow. Yeah, I you'd hope for the Cheetahs and their fans that the high belt just helps them not get wh- whomped. <laughs> yeah, you're hoping it gives them a bit of an edge. Um in the last game on Saturday, we have Zebre playing host to Cardiff. And that could be a really interesting fixture. Yeah, like Zebre need to win. I think they'll need to win at home. But Cardiff have to win that match. Absolutely. Absolutely have to win. That is a must win for John Mulvihill and his you guys. Know, especially as an inter-conference game. Yeah, that adds another element to it, all right. And another in-conference game then on Sunday afternoon. The Kings are back in Port Elizabeth playing host to Ulster. Yeah, like an Ulster team that are just managing to scrag wins from absolutely nowhere. Nowhere. Should be winning this with relative ease. Yeah, I, I think this is 
going to be to uh, uh, yet another bridge too far for this Kings team. But we'll we'll see. Home advantage matters so much for the South African sides. Yes, but they don't have the benefit of the high belt. Valid. So, Pork, we've listed the fixtures. What is your game of the week? I'm going to go with Edinburgh versus Connacht on the Friday. Not just because I am a Connacht fan. <laughs> it's a real measure of where these two teams are because they're quite in a similar position. And with Bundy coming back into the team, it's a real sign of where we are as a full team with everyone back and fit. Absolutely. And my game of the week is going to be the Cheetahs against Glasgow. So I think that this will go one of two ways. I think it'll either be a highly competitive fixture with the Cheetahs really locking down what they do well, um, or Glasgow are going to obliterate them. But it should be fun, good, open running rugby in good conditions for that. And you could see Tommy Seymour, Stuart Hogg racking up tries, or you could see the likes of Max Wayne running rings around them. You just don't know. For the casuals, five tries each. This please. should be one for the casuals. Yeah. So that's Edinburgh v Connacht and she is free Glasgow. That's it. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back with you next week to discuss all the results from round three. Don't forget we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher and all podcast apps. And please do rate, like and subscribe to the podcast. We do love hearing from you guys, so please get in touch on facebook.com slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. Until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care.